Welcome to the Upland Nation Podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I'm glad you could join me and thank you for being a part of the Upland Nation. Very special podcast today. We're on location, if you will, uh, somewhere in South Central Montana. That's about as good as I can give you right now. We'll talk more about the location with the guys who arranged all of that in just a moment. But before we do, let just let me just kind of preview what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about sharp tail hunting. We're going to be talking about Hungarian partridge hunting, access and strategies as well with one of the founders and one of the principal uh, guys in the organization called LandTrust.com. Yeah, new sponsor with a great, um, what I'll just call very entrepreneurial way to access ground so that if you are looking for high quality hunting among other things uh there's an app for it now if you will and that'll be the gist of our discussion today we'll be going into depth on how that all works we'll be going into depth on hunting strategies and tactics for those birds and maybe some others I'm looking out the window right now at six dogs on one tie-out and then one dog on the floor in front of us. We'll also talk about them. In this very special bonus on-location episode of the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport, dog food at ProPlansport.com and LandTrust.com, as well as high-vis shooting systems. See what you've been missing. All right, so let's start it off. Let's introduce everybody. Uh, we'll go, we're going around the trailer, first of all. So, Nick, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do there? Yeah, sure. appreciate it, Scott. So, my name is Nick DeCastro. I'm the founder and CEO of Land Trust. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm the guy who's trying to stay out of the way of all the important employees getting all the work done. Well, speaking of important employees, next to you uh, across the trailer from me is uh, Trevor. Trevor, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, my name is Trevor Walls, and I'm the partnerships lead at Land Trust. So, my day to day is uh, trying to bring uh, good quality partners to to the brand, and uh, you know, and in, in turn, you know, we believe that uh, our role is also to create a lot of value for our partners. And you have done exactly that in so many ways. I think we talked a lot in the last day or so while we were hunting about uh, how 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 this kind of an organization and this kind of an arrangement uh, really bring value to the hunting experience. And it it's different than most. And so let's talk about that first. Uh, Nick, why don't you kind of give us an overview of, of how LandTrust.com works? Sure. So we are a kind of a classic marketplace. On one side of the marketplace, we have landowners. And uh, in, in, in our marketplace, it's predominantly owner-operator farms and ranches. So uh, like the one we're on here today, Dick and Kathy Hol Holzer's place, you know, they're a multi-generation farm and ranch family. Um, so uh, they list their land on land trust, and they're willing to host guests out here uh, to hunt. To you know, They don't have fishing on this property, but hunt, RV, you know, do all that fun stuff. So... It's it's all DIY, mm -hmm. so we're not, you know, we have nothing against outfitters, but we just don't really do much outfitted stuff. Um, it's basically just 
landowners who have this amazing resource, like the one we've property we've been on today, who are saying, "Hey, I'd like to generate some extra income and host people out on the place, and you know, have a win-win for folks." So, yeah. Trevor, you've uh, you've described this in the past in a way that I think is pretty 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 helpful to most people. You're 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 in. There's a spectrum of public access and and high-end private lodges, we'll call it that. Mm-hmm. In the middle, there's some other things. There's all the walk-in and block management here in Montana. Uh, every state has something like that. But then there's also this vast, untapped resource of well-managed private ground. So how, how do you make the match? Well, I mean, I think you said a lot of it there, Scott. There's a lot of options, and you know, we, we believe we we're another option. Um, you know, like Nick said, we're, we're not against any, any of the options. Uh, we, we think we think we're bringing a, a really nice opportunity, um, and, and access accessibility, uh, to a lot of people. And, you know, a big part of that is also connecting these ranch families, these multi-generational ranch families with the people that, that want to come to, to their places. I mean, we saw it kind of firsthand last night. Dick and Kathy came by to to say hi and welcome us, and you know we're excited to be here, but they're they're also really excited to have us. You know, one of the things that I love about hunting is uh, you get to meet people like Dick and Kathy, mm. and I don't care where you are; uh, it doesn't matter even what you're hunting, probably as much as th- they are of like mind in so many ways. Um, and and you know, my research tells me that. Most of us go hunting for a few things, but right at the top of the list are watching the dogs work uh, and being with friends and family. And while they're not family, they are becoming friends very quickly. And that's kind of what struck me most last night about getting to know them a little bit. Yeah, I think Dick even said it himself. I mean, he's excited about having people out and, and getting to know them, hearing about their lives. And I think we have to remember that, you know, for most of these landowners, you know, they don't leave a whole lot. And, yeah. you know, they, they know their properties. They know what they do. We're incredibly thankful that, that they do what they do every day. But, you know, at the same time, we're also bringing them a lot of joy and, you know, kind of creating some new experiences that they probably wouldn't have. Yeah. it's We see this a lot in reviews left by landowners. So, again, for folks... You could think about us a lot like an Airbnb, but instead of lodging, it's about access to land for outdoor rec. And, you know, so there's reviews after this trip. Uh, I think you booked this trip, Scott, so you'll get an email saying, hey, review your experience. And they will, too, for hosting you. But in those reviews, we see our landowners talk a lot about, one, how respectful uh, the, the guests and the sportsmen they have out are. But two, on both sides, you see so much raving about just the interactions and getting to know about these, you know, on the guest side, getting to know about the the families and how long these places have been here and the practices that they have. But, you know, for the landowners, it's a, it's really nice for them to have these great social interactions. Again, these are busy people who spend a lot of time in very rural areas and having people out who, one, when we see their property, we see it with these, like, big eyes, right? It's, wow, look at all this incredible ground. A lot of times, they live, live and work here their whole life, so it's every day to them. So we hear yeah, a, we yeah. hear a lot. I mean, Trevor and I were out in eastern Montana, one of our ranches out there last week, and you know we were sitting with three generations of the family, and it's you know Chester, who's you know kind of the uh, patriarch of that family, just said how nice it was to sit and visit with folks who appreciate all the work they put in, 
And yeah. that, that is a big, a big deal. Yes, they're making some income from it too, but it's more than that. Yeah, it really is, and 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 it's it, it's simple too. These people have have agreed to do this because they want that kind of an experience for themselves as yep. well as what we what they can offer us. Uh, Trevor, walk us through the process. This is a pretty simple process, but there mm-hmm. is there are several steps, and I'm remembering. Well, the first thing you got to do is, is open an account. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean a whole lot. It means you go to the website, you give a little bit of information, and then carry on from there. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely starts with creating an account. And, and by the way, that's free. We encourage yeah, anybody good. who's at all interested to, to create an account on, on our website. Uh, you know, We ask you a few pretty simple questions. You know, Where do you live? Where do you like to hunt? What do you like to hunt? We use that information to queue up ultimately uh what we call kind of scouting for you um so we're going to send you properties that match up to what you've told us not a whole bunch of stuff that you said you're not interested in or you didn't tell us yours so it's very calculated uh very strategic so you create an account you you start getting some listings or some ideas from us from there you, you find something that you like um and you're going to inquire or or ask some questions um to the landowners that that's hosting that package or or that trip um, you've got some uh, plenty of opportunities there to go back and forth to to kind of plan with with that landowner um, and then ultimately um, you send a booking inquiry to the landowner every landowner has the opportunity to say yes or no we do that strategically um, because our landowners are always in control uh, oh. throughout this process yeah. but most of the time they're going to say yes they're excited to have you um, they accept the trip and then from there you're going to get uh, started in an email that uh, kind of starts again next steps to planning your trip onyx huntwise coordinates um, and some other you know nice to have information yeah those property maps are a big deal and then arrival instructions from the landowners you know right. the, the classic stuff hey you see the barn in the, the right yeah. go park yeah. over here and here's all the waypoints and all that stuff and so it, it really does help to have Onyx or, or HuntWise yes. because eventually, Nick, you, I know it's not coming from you, but your company <laughs> through you is sending me uh, a pin, That's basically. Right. Yeah, map, property yeah. boundaries yeah. and pins and all that stuff. Yep. So we, we know where we can go, where That's we right. can't go, that sort of thing. Now, it's not just any schlub who can walk on and start doing this. He's got to be kind of vetted a little bit, and, and the landowners are vetted too. You don't just sign people up. Somebody looks at this property doesn't that's right don't they yeah. yeah so you know on both sides marketplaces are really good at um, transparency and trust and safety yeah, yeah. so um, on the landowner side um, landowners can't just push listings live on our website they all have to be approved by us so that means either someone from our team is going out to these properties uh, or they're talking to us over the phone um, they have to own the property or have exclu- you know have the actual recreation rights to that property. Yeah, yeah. And so we're you know we handhold. So if there's landowners out there who are interested, we know that, that farmers, ranchers, landowners are busy people. We will help them do that whole process. But we have a lot of touches with those landowners before a property goes live on land trust. Mm-hmm. And then on the guest side, you know. We do ID verification. Yeah. yeah. So uh, government ID, we use a, a partner that does this for all the big banks and everybody else. So we make sure you are who you say you are. As you know, you book with a credit card. So it's interesting. When I first started this company, a lot of people said, oh, you know, it'll never work because there's, there's been bad interactions between landowners and hunters especially um, because, you know, we're using guns and all that. Uh, but 
really, when I looked at those bad interactions, those negative ones that Landers had, it was, I think, because those guests were anonymous. It's just like, you know, some guy in a truck drove up and knocked on my door. They seemed nice enough. And then they broke a gate or they left a gate open or they did something else. And then they drove away. And there was no accountability or transparency. So with Land Trust, uh, hey, we know who you are. You paid with your credit card. We have insurance policies. We do all that stuff. So we have had zero uh, of those types of negative experiences. I think there's 96% of our landers have rated their guests five stars. Wow. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot more trust built in there. And, again, landers always get to say no if they want. You know, the, the fascinating part about all this to me is that um, uh, – several generations of hunters and then anglers and, and course, anybody yeah. else who wants permission to recreate on private ground have have never learned the art of door knocking mm. you guys uh, landtrust.com is uh, you maybe that's you should change the name to <laughs> We'll do the knocking for you. <laughs> dot com. It's it's a skill, and I re- you know we've been talking in the last few weeks about how many particularly younger people don't know how to conduct a business telephone call. Yeah, if you can't make a business telephone call, how are you going to drive down a long driveway and knock on a stranger's door and then ask to ask permission to walk around with a dog with, and, a, and gun. a gun? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deadly weapon. So uh, you're yeah. you are the um, the matchmaker. We are uh, between the two parties. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I grew up, of course, I grew up bird hunting. I'm sure we'll get into kind of our backgrounds, but uh, certainly we door knocked a bunch and, you know, uh, you have some success sometimes. And look, before starting this company, I was in sales. I'm not a shy person uh, and I still didn't love door knocking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone that loves it on either side. You do it because you kind of need to, but... um, you know, it, it and it's. I, I personally believe that's gotten a lot harder because, as we may talk about, the amount of huntable ground has gotten less, and that means more people are going to knock on those doors. I think Onyx or somebody did a film recently where they interviewed a rancher that was on the north end of the Bridger Mountains, right outside Bozeman, mm-hmm. and he said he went from you know handful of people knocking on his door and he said go get them, you know, twenty thirty years ago to eighty people a weekend. Wow. So it just. You know, that's not sustainable. I mean, that guy's yeah. got a job. He yeah. lives there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just gotten a lot harder to do those things. Very much so. And in the time savings, we, we talked a little bit about that this morning. Oh, by the way, we will talk about our hunting, too. Oh, yes. Uh, but but uh, to put a capper on this aspect of it, uh, there there is a slice of the hunting community or the angling community for that matter the hiking and the birding community or, for that matter or camping we're they, in a trailer right now yeah. they're they're not going to um they're they're never going to pay for access of course yeah and that's all well and good yep a lot of people will and then the question becomes how much yep um and that, of course, is to a degree market-based. But, yeah. Trevor, you look at this stuff every day. What, what's it costing me to come here? About 100 bucks a day Yep. for a whole day on a private ranch. Exclusive access. What are we on, like six? How many thousands of acres are we on right now? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it is. not all contiguous, <laughs> yeah. but we put them all together. Yeah, yeah. about 6,000. Yeah. So, you know, you weigh that against uh, driving around, knocking on doors. Gas or, is $4.40. Yeah. yeah. 
all of a sudden uh, the price is uh, is is almost immaterial. Mm-hmm. If you're driving, the average hunter on this average big trip of the year uh, spends twelve hundred bucks. Wow. Okay. So what's another hundred here, a hundred there? Uh, if you know you're going to have private access to a massive amount of better managed land. And I think that's the real key to this. It's not some government agency that may or may not be doing a good job. Um, May or may not like hunters. Well, let's (laughs) let's not go down that rabbit hole. But but it it is an alternative to all of that. And and it is certainly a more affordable alternative than, than some of the private... Yes. Lodges, for example, or outfitters, for example, and it, it, like you said, Nick, it's a DIY thing. That's right. So all all we're doing is we're getting the keys to the kingdom. And by the way, you know, part of that, you know, the trip average twip, uh, trip, which we see is actually pretty interesting, is right around the same for the vacation, right? This yeah. isn't just popping out for the day, right? But I mean, we're staying here too. This is our. We brought our own lodging, so yeah. you pulled a trailer, we pulled a trailer. But we are getting access to this beautiful ground, and this is our, quote, lodging all rolled into that price. And you know? we can walk out the front door and be hunting. <laughs> we can. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, or listening to the coyotes minute, at night. <laughs> not a 45-minute drive from the motel in town and all that. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about our, our our hunting trip, but we'll start by our hunting backgrounds. Trevor... Yeah, when you pulled in, you pulled in with a dog trailer, and you put out a stakeout that has six. There's at least six dogs out there. Um, you obviously love this world. Absolutely. Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, my my quick background is I I grew up around hunting. Um, my dad was an avid uh, upland and waterfowl hunter. Um, we fished a ton. Uh, I grew up on the Mississippi, and I always knew I would get to that part of life in a bigger way at some point but uh as a young kid like many got you know kind of down the path of athletics and that took me through college and then i ended up racing racing bikes for a while and ultimately kind of hit this place of i'm ready you know that i knew it was coming and now's the time and so yeah through uh through some really good friends and mentors um got uh connected with some good breeders and you know ultimately I, i bought uh bought a short hair, uh, out of Colorado. And, uh, six months later I bought another short hair, actually his litter mate. And, um, yeah, the, the years go by and it seems like I had another dog to the string, but, um, I have a very tolerant wife who loves my, (laughs) loves the dogs. Um, but no, I mean, all kidding aside, I mean, it's, it's an absolute passion. Um, and I'm super thankful to, to have the opportunity to, to want to own a bunch of awesome dogs and get to spend a lot of days following them around. So, uh, what what about the bird hunting experiences? Do you like the most? Those yeah. guys out yeah. on the string there. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, how about you, Nick? Same thing. Is it about Jake? Well, I don't have six dogs, so they'd be divorced. <laughs> um, you know, I have one black lab in here. He's a pointing lab, which he reconfirmed today. Well, we're we're, we're still taking your word on that. Don't forget <laughs> <laughs> tripod point which is weird but uh no i i mean i grew up upland bird hunting as we talked about i grew up in southern california um every everyone gasps listening there was a time Um, when you could do that uh Mm -hmm. there was a time where southern california was absolute uh heaven yeah um so i grew up hunting uh we we, always britneys my dad's always had britneys um and we'd usually get them out of texas i'm not sure why but we did 
Um, and we hunted the, you know, the low deserts of Southern California, chasing valley quail and chucker. Um, I think the first, I've said this, I think the first memory I have is probably on a dove hunt. I was three years old, 115 degree heat outside of Salton City. And, you know, going and fetching birds for my dad. Because we didn't, we never used our bird dogs for doves. Nope. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, always Britneys and, you know, hunting up and down California. We'd get up in the Central Valley and do some pheasants. We'd get up to Klamath and do some ducks and pheasants and stuff like that. But, um have always been that I got into big game hunting more recently in like 2015, mm-hmm. 2016 when I was in Colorado. Yeah. Um, but that's my hunting lineage is pretty much purely birds until the last few years. Well, but uh, to be clear, landtrust.com will offer uh, a number of, in fact, la- yeah. was it last night or this morning you said, Hey, this place that we're yeah. on just got a mule deer booking. A mule deer booking. Mm-hmm. Yes, I got a yeah. booking for mule deer hunting. And we've seen a bunch of mule deer. We haven't seen the bucks yet. We've yeah. seen a bunch of does around. But, yeah, so, uh, you, you know, it is absolutely for all sorts of outdoor rec. I mean, we have people who are booking fishing trips. We have people who are booking foraging. Yeah. And as we get into other parts of the country, I'm sure we'll see snowmobiling. All sorts of just whatever you might knock on a landowner's door and ask them, hey, can I go do that thing outside on your place? We can usually help with that. Yeah. We started with hunting. Hunting is a tent pole for us. And I th- I'm really excited about upland hunting because, one, it's the core of who you know I am and where I came from. But I also think it's just such an outstanding resource for upland hunters who could – I mean, we have properties – you could have booked three properties around here and bounced yeah. around between them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's – I'm excited about that. Well, and the other, the other challenge to an upland hunt is, to a large degree, uh, a privately owned and managed rancher farm – is going to just by the nature of that business have more amenable habitat yeah. for game birds. Yep. You can find an elk on a national forest. You can find a deer on a national yep. uh, on a on BLM ground. But the better bird hunting is going to be on a place that has some crops, maybe yep. has some managed water, maybe has a variety of crops and some other the cover and whatever. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I have Nick DeCastro and Trevor Waltz from um, LandTrust.com. I promised you we're going to talk hunting as well, and we'll talk some dog stuff too. So stick around right after this. In this very special bonus on location episode of the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina ProPlan Sport Dog Food at ProPlansport.com, and LandTrust.com, as well as high-vis shooting systems. See what you've been missing. Nick, Trevor, this has been fun for all sorts of reasons, but mainly because we've been out chasing dogs. It got a little warm in the afternoon, but in the morning we had a lot of fun out there. I think the interesting thing about what we we did this morning is what we didn't do. We didn't find a lot of sharp tails. Our, our, our goal was sharp tails, and it's a great sharp tail year. Um, they just weren't where we were at the time, but... But we we did something that I think is a lesson to everybody. And Trevor, why don't you describe you know how we kind of made made it work for us? Yeah, I mean we started the day going out and checking out uh, an area of the ranch that you know looked great, and we got got on the ground with some dogs and you know 
Well, you know, it, it was great out there. Um, birds just hadn't moved into that area yet or kind of that coverage yet. So um, spent spent some time exploring and then uh we also did see six coyotes out there yeah yeah so, <laughs> so let's call that out and by the way if you want to do a coyote hunt you yeah. could go to landtrust.com but no uh, all good stuff out there but uh decided to to load up the dogs and switch to a different uh area and uh ultimately uh take some advice from the rancher uh, which you know that we, they Nick, do live here every day. Yeah, Nick and I have learned very quickly that uh, if they bring it up, you know, you, you want to pay attention to where they're seeing things, yeah, seeing yeah. species or seeing animals. So either way, um, got reparked and got some dogs down. Um, had uh, had one of the short hairs and uh, one of my young pointers out, and uh, they did a couple of big laps for us. And all of a sudden, uh, we had a tail go straight in the air, and. Uh, he was probably 250 yards out. I, I was admittedly a, a little worried that he may break on us. I mean, he's only a year and a half, but he stood for us the whole time. We were able to walk in, and more Huns got up than I've seen come out of a covey in a long time. Well, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Number one, I, I took took a shot, and I actually killed that bird. <laughs> Just for the record, um, and I have two witnesses right here. It happened. Uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, we got another couple dribs and drabs out of that and then while we were all clapping each other on the back didn't we have at least three more yeah little little groups come out from right around it was like popcorn kernels going off around us yeah it was and uh, and 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 they were holding tight it was exactly it was i haven't ever got to get on huns usually the times i've gotten on huns they were in like short you know wheat stubble and they can kind of see you coming and they flush wild these birds were holding. I mean, there was one after that first shot. You killed yeah. that bird. You guys were standing there for two minutes, were sitting with the dogs, and wow, birds just started coming out right next to you. Yeah, and of course we had our guns open and probably unloaded. As you do. <laughs> we were we were just thinking we were hot stuff and what and never bothered with any of the others. You know, the interesting part about that, I want to look, talk about habitat and why we made this switch, and then I also want to talk about. Um, you want to talk about that pointing lab. Pointing lab. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that, that because I want to blow you? by blow on that. Um, <laughs> We 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 went to a spot that had all all the indications that it would be classic sharp tail uh, habitat. The cover was sparse but not too sparse, tall but not too tall, um, rolling hills, if you will, uh, with some coolies and some uh, denser, different types of cover. Rose we hips. Found, we, mm-hmm. we found roses. We found uh, snowberries or buffalo berries. Buffalo berries, yep. And, uh, and it had all, all the indications that this, you know. In two, and water. Yeah, and Perfection. water at the yeah. bottom. So we found all this stuff, and we walked it pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, we made a couple big circles with different dogs. Uh, not even a Nothing. excited dog. No. Um, so they weren't there, like you said, Trevor. Yeah. Uh, then we went somewhere else, and all of a sudden they were there, yeah, but they weren't there. It was Huns, but yep. it was we were we had a director from from the landowner, and then we we looked at that cover, and it was more honey than yeah. than the sharp tail cover, more level. Um, what about the the cover itself? It was different too, wasn't it, Nick? Yeah, I mean, again, I think we all thought it was a little bit thicker taller cover than we thought we would find huns in yeah and then mm-hmm. sure enough we saw a lot of huns there yeah. and they were holding tight in it we're sitting looking at you know 
<clears throat> some some wheat fields that you'd think another couple hundred acres. Yeah, <laughs> that you're like, oh, they'd be out there. Um, but it goes to show, I think different regions are going to have birds doing some different stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we found, I mean, right next to the truck, as it usually happens, they were hanging out and just, you know, some alfalfa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hiding behind round bales. Yep. And out you, of the wind. Cause the wind started to get a little going a little bit more. And by, by the way, you know, where I live in Oregon, round bales are probably going to be outlawed next year. Why? Why? The PETA folks don't like them because the cows can't get a square meal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. Okay, add in the, add Tad, in the sound effects. Tad Newberry, if you're listening, that's for you, my friend. Add in the, add in the sound effects. Um, I'm going to have to get I, some pots and pans out so I can get the button. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Okay, so do you want to hear about the pointing lab or not? Yeah, no, it's time for that. Give us give us the blow-by-blow blow on, on uh, the alleged point by the alleged pointing lab. All right, this is a shout-out to Iowa Pointing Labs where I got Jake okay, yeah. out of Iowa. Um, in all seriousness, great dogs. Uh He'll sit next to you in a ten below, you know, ten ten degrees below blind, and he'll jump in the water for you. He's a he's a retriever through and through. He is a pointing lab, um, but I haven't had him out on upland. And like I said, Trevor and I went out hunting last week, and we saw I don't know two hundred sharpies. I was like, dang it, I should have brought him out. It's a little hot. I don't know, but I I decided to bring him this time. And of course, I'm not expecting him to. You know, you got the you got the the pointers and all that stuff. Let them do that. But I wanted to get them in the mix, and uh, we got into a bunch of birds. They started breaking out, which was great to see them getting singled up and all that. And uh, I shot a bird, saw the leg drop, and so we went after it. You guys were kind of still chasing some other singles out. And sure enough, there he goes. He threw a tripod at the bird. Now, he was close. Uh, <laughs> he's a little close okay. to the bird. He's a Labrador. But I look at, yeah, I'm looking at him. I said, oh, my. And it was in deep stuff. I would have never, that injured bird would have never popped out. I would have never found that bird. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it didn't get up again. I told him it was a dead bird, and he went in and get, grabbed it. But I was, uh, I was a proud dad there. Oh, yeah, he did a great job. And, and uh, he would have come in handy if we had dropped more birds in, in cover like that. Totally. You know, yeah, it it would have been critical Very to have, thick. have yeah. that dog. Um, as it was, it was it was fun, and he did. He worked close. We had big runners, yep. mm-hmm. a lot of field trial stock, and then one wire hare who stayed relatively close too. But but it was it was a, a good match in that regard. You know, I want to talk for a minute. But we we got him on the tailgate after that mm-hmm. hunt, and and uh, we all kind of looked at him. We were doing some things. Um, Trevor, you have a trick for getting crap out of dogs' eyes that I've never seen before. We all ultimately used my trick as well down the road on another seed. Yeah, Jake had some seeds in his yeah. eyes. Yeah, but yeah, I pulled a few or washed a few out today yeah. too. It's definitely something to be aware of. But you did something. You you t- told Nick yep. do this, then this, and then something else. Yeah, uh, it's a. <laughs> I guess it's a trick, but uh, you know, it goes back to a, a vet that I've been mm-hmm. working with in, in the Bozeman area. And uh, so his advice, it's three steps. It's cover, so you're pulling the eyelid over the dog's eye, the upper eyelid over. You're pushing, not you know, just gently pushing on that eyelid onto their eye and then pulling down their lower eyelid. And typically what that's going to do is, one, it's, it's sealing off the, any seed from being able to go up because you're pulling that, that upper lash down. You're pushing to apply pressure to pop a seed out from under and then you're lowering that bottom 
uh, eyelid to be able to expose it. Yeah, you can get a finger in there. And if you, it, hey, everybody, if you're not training your dog to sit for this kind of stuff, you you ought to be doing that. Yeah. He was actually really, he was very yeah. amenable. He didn't, yeah. he didn't give us too much problem. It helps a lot if they've been running hard. Yeah. But, but it's like everything else. A tired dog is a trainable dog. A tired <laughs> dog is a doctorable dog. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right, Scott. I mean, it's it's really important to. I mean, handle your dogs, uh, handle their paws, you know, open their eyelids, open their ears, you know, because the last thing you want is a dog that's uncomfortable with that situation when you really need to, to get in there and get something out. Yeah, and it'll it'll cause more serious damage if you don't get it out. Mm-hmm. And then we used my trick, which is, um, and by the way, the veterinary ophthalmologists tell me, um, distilled water mm-hmm. rather than contact solution or mm. saline solution or something like that put that in a little squeeze bottle that has a little squirty thing on yeah there. that worked really nice too and then you could just open the eye lean them a little bit downhill if you will yeah squirt a gentle stream of that in there and it'll wash out a lot of that stuff and yeah it, it was almost a textbook example of that yeah so those kind of things work um you know we did a few things from a strategic standpoint on 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 our hunts today um besides picking what we thought was good cover for both species Mm -hmm. um we 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 did some things with the wind there's a pretty significant wind it was a little more gentle this morning and then because of that we used the landscape a little bit um and i'm think, trying to think back on even those those last huns we were shooting at or the ones that we didn't get a shot at yeah they were all hiding behind a windbreak yep now it might not have been much it might have been a drop off of two feet and they were on the leeward side of that but sometimes they were in a little bowl mm-hmm. or they were in um a little bit higher cover than they should cover. have been yeah. in yeah so those are things, and, and I've had that experience as well. Last winter, we were crossing a wheat field just to get back to the truck before we caught frostbite. And uh, the wheat field was pretty much all the same, but there was a little low spot in the middle, and I'm not paying any attention. Then I realized that my dog, Flick, is on point there in the middle of this field. And it, you're thinking, no way. It looks empty <laughs> to yeah. me. But four-inch stubble and a little low spot was enough a windbreak for Hungarian partridge. Oh, yeah. And it it really taught me something about how little they need sometimes. But and then, how much to trust your dog, right? Well, I'll, eventually I'll learn that, too. I'm only on my fifth one. See, you're already <laughs> ahead of me, and, and you got them all at the same time. Uh, but it's absolutely true. What else did we learn today? Nick, you got any lessons that you're going to take to the bank? trust your trust the people on the ground yeah you know with land trust it's really nice because you know you're going out they are not hunting guides so we actually ran into a, a guide at, at the at bar lunch, yeah. at lunch and that was a great conversation uh so you know it's really nice with land trust you're talking to people who live almost almost exclusively they live and work on the on the property and they're, they're out here they see stuff all the time now they don't look at it like bird hunters do. Uh, usually they say, oh, yeah, we see some birds over here. And then you go over there and sure enough, there they are. So I would say, you know, take on the ground advice. And if they say they see stuff somewhere, go check it out. Yeah, that's a, a real good point. And, and again, uh, the landholders you're working with, for the most part, they really, 
you know what they are they're they're in the hospitality business uh, uh, we've talked briefly about that and I think it's it's absolutely true they want to help you and uh, and if if that means well go there instead of there yeah they're, they're we see them in the mornings do. over yeah. here in the evenings we might see them over there yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your takeaway Trevor on all of this uh, the, what our hunt today and and hunting in general for that matter what's a lesson for you yeah I mean every every hunt's gonna be different yeah um, and you know the dogs are gonna have good days and bad days just like we are um and i would say you know just read read your read your uh, area you know re get take what the weather is giving you and uh be willing to to pack up the truck and move a location you know get boots on the ground um and yeah at the end of the day trust your dogs yeah well persistence i think if i go like oh yeah you know you yeah. could walk around but especially in this with this big country yeah you got to just go walk mm-hmm. you got to go walk and you got to try new places and you got to be persistent i just wrote a story for somebody um and uh and the advice i gave in one particular uh portion of it was about chuckers and i mm-hmm. said if you're not finding any cheatgrass that's not all that's not the only thing they eat but if you're not seeing a lot of cheatgrass try and find a new spot yep. it's mm-hmm. a one good indicator. move around yep. yeah uh, this morning, uh, somewhere on an uphill pull, uh, when I wasn't falling, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I noticed that we hadn't seen any grasshoppers yet. Now mm-hmm. it was a little early in the morning, a little cooler. They weren't going to be as yep. active, but, but I've heard the opposite. Um, uh, our good friend and guest of the show, Al Godori tells me time and time again, if they have a choice, sharp tails are going to eat grasshoppers. Yeah. And if you don't see any, or you don't see any evidence of them, if you don't, if you find alfalfa, for example, and none of it's chewed up, yeah, maybe not a good idea Moves. to waste much, much yeah, of your time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about in general, um, Trevor? You got six dogs. Um, you keep care of these dogs. They're all in great shape. They're beautiful animals. They're 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 well trained. If you were to tell anybody uh, anything about uh, dog training or dog care, what what's what's high on your priority list that maybe we haven't thought about? I mean, something that I'm always working on is patience. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think the and I've learned that I've had this said to me numerous times by people that have been doing it a lot longer, and it's you know every dog is going to move at a different pace, and and you can't rush that. Um, so I and and as you as you see that happen more and more with more dogs, uh, it actually kind of lights the fire a little bit more, turns up the flame and, you know, cause it's, we're all waiting for the light bulb to go on, especially with young dogs. And, and when it does, you know, it's a, a whole new world opens up, but you know, I think that's probably one of the bigger ones for me is just be patient and, and yeah. let the process be, you know, be the process. And, and you know, it's interesting. I, I, I wrote a story for Outdoor Life a long time ago, and then the editor calls and he says, I need, first off, I need it by next week. Then he says, and what I want is I want you to do a, you know, kind of a month by month progression of training a puppy in his first hmm. year. And I said, uh, what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all different. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, I'll, I'll give you 18 months. And at the end of 18 months, there will be a big dash ISH. Yeah. Um, and it came out pretty good. But in that 18 or so months is the light bulb being 
switched off again once in a while. Mm-hmm. Plateaus, peaks. You were a biker. Yep. You were a competitor. Yeah. Uh, you're a, in sales. You you relate to this every day. Anybody who does anything that's performance based, yep. realize you're not on every day, and you do have setbacks. Yeah. And, and yeah, you get through those ups and downs uh, by just consistency. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the more your dogs have, or the more you can expose them to, and the more consistent you can be as a trainer, yeah, the better it's going to be in the long run. Yep. Nick, how about yourself? You, you you get to hunt. Everybody thinks all you do is hunt, and <laughs> the business runs itself. That is not true. Yeah. Uh, but but w- when you're out there and you're thinking, wow, am I glad that happened, and I'm glad that I learned how to make that happen, yeah. or something. Well, at this stage of my life, which you have all seasons, right? Um, I have three little kids, you know, wife and company. And, you know, last year I hunted three days. Oh, my God. All season. So uh, it's just life is busy. Um, and so, you know, I, we joke about Jake. Jake is comes from great stock. His dad's a master hunter. And I do feel a little guilty by, you know, not having put – because it is time. I mean, it's just you get out there and do that 30 days this year and – that dog is a lot different than he is today on day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also just, for me, just being able to be out here and to be able to enjoy this. Uh, I'm not at a stage where it's like, oh, i got to shoot limits or I'm unhappy. Because yeah. I don't get to hunt enough to have that expectation, you know. So just being out here, and like I said, we talked about it. Him throwing that little point. Yeah, it's injured bird, but he pointed that bird. Like, that was good for me. It's like, if you go golf, I don't golf a lot. I hit one good shot. You're like, all right, that was a good day. I, so. I can't can't agree more. I, I think it really can't. You can define your day with one moment. Yes. So what was it for you, Trevor, that one moment? Oh, it was for sure. Yeah. You're a year-and-a-half-old <laughs> year dog that, I mean, yeah, confidence is building every time we're out. But, I mean, to see him running, you know, basically with the wind you know make a nice crossing move come back around and stop as like a statue head high Uh, yeah head high tail high and wait for us to take (laughs) our time to get yeah you didn't really believe him at first if we're gonna be honest you're like he's a young dog where he just got out of the truck totally right but uh you know i he did the same thing or very similar last week, you know, same deal. You know, usually you put a, a young dog down on the ground and they're hot. They're ready to go. They'll blow up some birds. Um, but no, he, same kind of deal, same similar move, snapped back around. Other dog came in and honored him, Covey a Sharptail. So nice. yeah, it's uh, back to my point earlier, trust your dogs yeah. and they'll, they'll reward you for it. You no, I'm I'm insulted. Neither of you mentioned the fact that I got the first shot and I actually killed you something did. with you it. Did. Yeah, you did. You did indeed. You had a shot. You had too. a couple good shots. So that'll out there. be that'll be second on your list. We didn't get flick on. No, he we didn't get out there. He, gave he was us on a the good first hard point. That's right. On old scent or something, and and that's good enough. Yes, but we'll you get know? him out there tomorrow. Yeah, he'll he'll do fine, and uh, he's he was just grateful to be out of the truck. You know, took <laughs> a couple two days and a half days to get here. So he's happy, and now he's just relaxed and ready to go again so uh we will maybe and, this evening yeah yeah so yeah looking out the window i got yeah. got some dogs getting restless they look like they're getting ready to go again yep. too yeah i don't uh doubt it and they, by the way that is a really nice string especially the last two uh trevor's got four pointers and two short hairs and that's the order they're in but they're uh, it was fun and, and I, you know let's leave it with this 
it was hot today, mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. especially for dogs. Yeah, it was... We were lucky. We had seven, eight dogs to choose from. Yeah. We used them all. And we only hunted probably four or five hours. Yeah, for that. So, yeah. um, so there's a lesson in that for everybody. If you're hunting early season in particular, be real mindful of your Absolutely. dogs. Absolutely. I mean, you could... Uh, you could do some serious damage. Yeah, the next few days, luckily, the uh, temperature's going to drop a bit, which will be yeah. nice. Oh, absolutely. Hey, that's the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I have with me from LandTrust.com. Look about. You know, you can shop around on that site without opening an account. That's right. So if you're yeah. looking, if you're looking to uh, maybe explore what they have in Central Montana or yep. anywhere else, that's an easy way to do. It. You can see see the listings and see how that works. Um, anyway, the guys are. Trevor Waltz and Nick DeCastro from LandTrust.com. Again, I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. We are brought to you in part by LandTrust.com. First to mention, uh, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, MidwayUSA.com, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. We are also brought to you by. Um, let's see, pointer shotguns, true lock chokes. Oh yeah, and my authority website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review or a rating. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Trevor. Hey, I hope to hear from you and get a story from you all in the field as well. Have a great day.